Might actually have to clap. <laughs> <laughs> to be all clap. Ready when you are. Action. Well, well, hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of FinTech Walkabout. I'm joined by Adnan, head of strategy at Starling Bank. Thanks for, for joining us. Diving into the realms of open banking and interesting people. Um, so Adnan, it'd be great to just get a quick introduction from yourself. You were at PwC prior to, to Starling, so take us through the journey. Sure. Uh, well, hi, I'm Adnan. Um, I'm head of strategy at Starling Bank. Uh, prior to that, as you said, I was um, a consultant at PwC, focusing mostly on helping financial services um, companies with their strategy. Uh, and actually prior to that, I was a teacher, taught maths up, okay. in, up in the Northeast for a charity called Teach First. Um, and yeah, and now I find myself at Starling. It's a bit of a, <laughs> jumped around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? I, um, <laughs> no, it's a really fair question. I always, I always get that. Um, I, out of uni, I had these, um, like a really idyllic view of the world or, you know, like I want to do some charity work and Teach mm-hmm. versus is great charity at places graduates in really, de- uh, areas of low socioeconomic, um, indicators. So high levels of free school meals, generations of unemployment. So, um, you know, first North stuff, but furthest north I've ever been before was uh, Nottingham okay. and then I went I was placed up in Middlesbrough so yeah. really out of, out of, uh, really out there um, and for me it was just you know giving back and then giving yeah. me some time to mature and see live quite a sheltered life I'd say which is fair to say you know good school parents who looked yeah. after me very well uh, and I wanted to see the world and I wanted to see help uh, so yeah that for me that first two years of my life post uni so you were really to see that. maths at uni maths at and uni teaching maths teaching maths yeah and then into financial services consulting work. That that seems like the bit of a jump. For me. Yeah, that, that that is right. So I mean, I always wanted to be in finance. Like you know, every every well, I was about to say every child wants to be in finance. I don't think that's true. Yeah, can draw a line <laughs> under that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely draw a line <laughs> under that one. But anyway, I did. Um, prior to that, obviously, every I wanted to be an astronaut, but yeah. that's another story. Um, but yeah, so you know, I did I did that thing teach first and teach first with great connections with the industry. Okay. Um, and the main idea behind it is actually changing the mindset of people in positions of power in business. A lot of people pay a lot of attention to the type of university you've gone to, yeah. your grades, your background, what you look like, what you sound like. The idea was I went somewhere which I saw some really bright students who, unfortunately due to the circumstances, probably won't get the same chances in life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's something I've taken through my professional journey. So once I go into PwC, you know, for me, it's like, I don't care if you've gone to Oxbridge. I don't care what uni you've gone to or what, what grades you've got. I want to see the hustle. I want to see your logical thinker. I want to see that you actually have that raw intelligence. Because mm. some of the best business people have no degrees, right? Yeah. They haven't gone to the best universities, but they are true hustlers. Um, so it's changing that mindset um, in, in business. Yeah. It's an interesting one because the same topic uh actually came up with another consultant so david breer was in the other day um and that was the first thing he went to as well it's like how do we get people in the right mindset for change for growth for advancing not only their own careers but the industry the the world yeah um so how does that translated then into head of strategy at starling bank yeah i think you know it's it's very much challenging the status quo right so there's a lot of things I've picked up, both, you know, thinking about how you change people's mindset about how they approach hiring and how they approach 
um, business more generally. Mm. Um, PwC helped a lot with that because we were doing a lot of blue sky thinking with uh, corporate clients, helping them think about how do I make more revenue in this area, right? Or Never heard that from a consultancy <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> typical. Of <laughs> lots of blue sky thinking, um, data driven, yeah. lots of expert insight, right? Of course. Um, but yeah, at Starling, it's been, you know, thinking about how can we actually change bank business models um, to be, well, firstly, more modern, more digital, more tech enabled and a co on a completely different cost base mm. and a lean cost base compared to what they have historically. So you look at big banks and they have legacy technology costs, they have branch costs and there's so much that they can't pull themselves out of. And then that sort of thinking where they are so um, stuck in their ways means that they don't innovate quick enough. Mm. And Anne, when she started Starling, thought, actually, this is broken. I tried fixing it from the inside. Now I'm going to go away yeah. and do it myself. And that's what we've done, right? We've completely reimagined um, the business model. It costs us you know, a fraction of what it costs a big bank to develop products and get yeah. out there. So that's probably a nice segue into the first question about Starling in the realms of open banking. That's why we're here. Um, You've pursued probably a more diverse strategy than maybe some of your competitors uh, and definitely, I think it's easy to say, uh, some of the large financial institutions, the marketplace space, the banking as a service, you know, lending, business banking and more. What, what kind of, what were the core considerations behind that diversification? Yeah, um, really good question. So I think for Starling um, and the fintech industry more generally, what we, you have to almost go back and think what happened at the very beginning. Mm. And what did happen was everyone was unbundling services and focusing on, okay, this is what a bank does. It's really slow. It's not great at delivering those services. But I can do that one thing and I can do it really, really well, focus relentlessly on the customer experience, and that's my business model, right? Mm. What's happening now is, so now they're talking about the great, you know, you talk about the great unbundling, now everyone's talking about the great rebundling, yeah. right? Uh, which you hear a lot in the, on the circuit. Um, and the reason why that's happening is, is because what people have done is they've, again, done one thing really, really well, scaled it up massively, so grown, but then they're realizing, actually, we can't make money this way. Mm. Or rather, I need to show my investors to justify my high valuation. So they can pump more cash. Yeah, in. yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do I increase that RPU, right? So average revenue per, per user. Um, what Starlink did that was different is, and I'm going to allude back to what I just said earlier about how we, you know, how we saw the bank business model was broken. But being a bank from day one was super, super important to us because we knew that you could do everything that a bank does, and we, we are still doing it, on a lo really low cost base, mm. right? And it's incredibly scalable. So we've done that. We've, we've created this business model, which means we can now lend, right? We great, make greater margins on the lending versus, you know, in traditional bank. Sure. Um, we saw that, you know, you could serve retail customers, you know, the biggest underserved segment, SME customers, right? We can serve all of those guys um, and make, a, you know, make a sustainable business model, which generates revenue and is going to be around here for the long term. So people talk a lot about the super app. Yeah. Are you after the super infrastructure instead of that? Fair to say, or is it kind of a? How do we build out the infrastructure so that we can do things with it? Yeah, but we're still over here working on our customer base. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a really good question. Again, <laughs> full of them today. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, the super app strategy is an interesting one, and again, it comes back to that layering on that revenue on your customer base, right? Uh, I think what Starling's doing is we're still formulating that strategy. Whether sure. you go down the super app or whether you're doing super infrastructure, one thing that's probably 
appropriate to talk about now is that you've got I don't well my personal view sorry is that I don't think super apps will work as well in the West as they do in China and other 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 markets outside of the West and the reason it works better in those markets is because you've got um, sorry you don't have the infrastructure and the support in place for customers in say in China than like you do for the UK market right okay. so we have you know the payment rails we have um, the banks to facilitate a lot of the a lot of the financial transactions that you know was it in other markets um, and that's why the super app works really well there I think in the West you, you, there's a fine balancing act between the super app and customer convenience and UX right yeah a lot of super apps can be quite clunky it's quite difficult to find where you're going and it's it can be overwhelming um, and then on the, the other point about super infrastructure so I'm actually happy you asked about that because what we've done in the UK right and again we've talked about reimagining bank business models we've actually proven our use case mm. so we've proven our business model. We've, we've proven it works we've been profitable since October 20 and we've we serve nearly 3 million customers in the UK and SME market right um, so for us we can now think about licensing that technology it's unique compared to the other providers out there because we use it ourselves yeah. and now other banks can use it first-hand experience then yeah and that's the beginning I suppose of, of this embedded finance piece that everyone's yeah talking yeah. about at every single conference on repeat seemingly the same thing but if you talked a little bit about consolidation or, or rebundling a second ago um, it does feel like today uh, people talk about the barriers to entry being lower than ever in terms of like starting a business especially in the fintech world yeah. but the I'd say expectations of the consumer are probably higher than they've ever been We've got the likes of Chase entering the market saying we're going to build everything by the looks of it. I mean, they're yeah. plastering billboards all over the tube in London, right? Um, TVs now as well, right? Yeah, well, and, yeah. and not to say it's going to be a bad product or anything. It's just, can, you, can we really diversify any more on the premise of digital first or is that mm. kind of out the window? And I think that could also be said for fintechs. Are we going to see that kind of all conglomerate somehow, consolidate mm -hmm. somehow? Is that the way you yeah. think it's going? Uh, so uh, let me take that first uh, question you asked about Chase and you know, is there much differentiation beyond just being digital? Um, I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of copying and you've seen that yeah, already, sure. freezing cards, instant yeah, yeah. notifications. All of these things are, that, you know, fintechs and... It's flattery, though. Yeah, it? yeah, it's flattery. It's <laughs> greatest form of flattery, right? Yeah. And you have um, all the big banks copying that as well now, right? But you can't build a culture of innovation. Oh, sorry, you can't. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. You can <laughs> yeah. build a culture of innovation, but you can't replicate it. Yeah. You have to build it from the ground up. That's, mm. why, that's why Starlink started separately, right? You didn't start off from an incumbent bank and try to create a flanker brand. I mean, we've seen a few of those and we know what's happened there, right? No comment, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's all to do with the culture that you have. And that's really hard to replicate if you're not doing it from scratch. Um, I think the other thing, so Chase aren't really doing that. People like Chase are going to find it hard to do that. But the, there's another thing that they're missing. They're missing the urgency that founders have, and you all know this, right? Mm -hmm. That urgency to deliver, that urgency to focus relentlessly on the customer, and the short shortage of funds, right? That's the main difference, I think. And when you have a parent company which will fund millions or billions into, into the project, you have no urgency, there's no desire or need to create something that will work really well straight off the bat. So what are the implications of that? Do you think that, uh, you think that pulls the focus away from consumer then? Or is that 
Is it something different? No, so I, I think you can still focus on the consumer, but I do think there's um, probably, you're not gonna have the same level of innovation that like a startup or, mm. a, or a growth company which built it from scratch will have. Um, you know, you talk about how companies innovate and you know, for incumbent max, it takes them six months to release a product. Sure. You know, at Starling, we release versions of the app like several times a day. Yeah. If something goes wrong, we roll it back. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's that level of innovation which is hard to replicate. I think others will try to do that, but then they won't have that core um, in innovation at, at the center of what they do. Yeah, I mean, we did see uh, Bo try and hire in for that, right? Yeah, and yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it at that. Um, so what about the FinTech side of things? And yeah, do you see that consolidation, is that consolidation piece gonna be around the user experience more so than the, the infrastructure itself? Or mm -hmm. is it gonna be both, is it gonna be the other way around. Um, when, when, and when you talk about consolidation here, you talk about M and A. Are you talking about more about actually everything becoming? I mean, sort it, it of could be people just copying each other. It could be M and A. It could yeah. be um, strategic investments, right? We've seen mm -hmm, banks mm -hmm. invest in, in yeah. fintechs already. We've seen, you know, um, HSBC and Bud, for example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I'm going to take this from, given my background, more from the M and A perspective. Um, and I think you, you, we've already seen that in the industry. Um, let's go back to the early stages of fintech, right? Mm -hmm. One of the fintechs, lots of um, that popped up were P2P lenders, right? Yeah. There were tons of them. And now what they've realized is actually it was a great business model to de democratize access to investments through lending your money, right? But then there were a few issues, both from regulatory mis-selling conduct to actually uh, P2P lenders realizing, hold on, you can make a lot more money from this if you actually lend out your own deposits, if you could raise them in the first in mm -hmm. the first place, opposed to just getting like servicing and origination fees. And um, so one of two things happened, right? Those businesses unfortunately either didn't survive the course or they thought about becoming banks or they get bought up by someone who, um, yeah, who can finance it exactly, and ha but just didn't have the capabilities. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's a great example of what's going to happen in the FinTech market, right? And we talked about people who have unbundled and done one thing and one thing really, really well. Now, if they've generated enough uh, cash flow from that, they may think about actually acquiring capability, right? Yeah. Uh, and we, we've seen that in other industries as well, like the fangs, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Those guys, uh, I think between, I read something the other day, 20, between 2017 and 2007, those companies acquired 400 companies, right? Yeah. And it's, it, that level of deal making is normal yeah. and it will happen. But question is to see who will actually come out on top, whether it be big banks buying smaller banks or you know, smaller fintechs buying big banks. Well, we just had one big one in Apple and Credit Kudos, mm. uh, which is a nice segue probably into open banking more specifically. Yeah. So we've seen this big shift from, um, let's say, scraping lead data sharing into consumer, um, like consumer lead, right? Yeah. Or what's the word I'm looking for? Authentication. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, Consent is the word I was looking for. How has that um, how has that shaped your approach to that kind of consumer obsession? Like, what is it in terms of your relationship with the user? We've, we've seen kind of open banking has allowed you to tap into more data sets or um, let's say richer data uh, in a more secure way. Mm -hmm. How have you kind of navigated that as a financial institution? Because obviously you're not you're not mandated by the CMA to, to yeah. open up those data. So on both sides of the table, from a consumer experience perspective mm -hmm. and from a Starling, uh, a Starling bank perspective, yeah. what, what's your approach been? 
I think um, this has been, you know, open banking, right, has probably been, in the UK, has been driven by the regulator. Yeah. So big banks and others have created these APIs because they're like, oh, we need to comply with this regulation, which you could argue probably isn't the right way to go about it. Um, I think for small organizational, those outside of the big banks um, that haven't been mandated to do that, I think there's a duty to do that, right, to empower customers to have power over their own data and have control over that and do what they want with that data. Um, I think with people like, so for us at Starling, for example, we built out, we actually built really world-class APIs, yeah. um, but then realized actually you need a homogenous API which works for everyone, which isn't as powerful as what we had. So, you know, it's then, okay, we have to create these APIs that work for everyone so that anyone can access them without any sort of um, teething issues. Um, but the main focus and the core focus of this is always what what's best for the customer. And you could talk about, you know, implementing open banking and in certain use cases, at least from what I've seen, is that sometimes that user experience can be incredibly clunky yes. um, and isn't actually conducive to someone utilising open banking in the right way for, for what would be in their best interest. Yeah, but consumer experience aside for the time being, we'll come back to it. What are the implications for you as a financial institution, right? You're sharing personal data on the consumer. How have you flipped the script or have you? flip the script to say, well, this is actually how we can benefit as a, as a business, as an institution. Yeah, yeah. Has that been about consumer so, loyalty? Is that trust piece? Yeah, so, uh, no, it makes sense. So I think there's, I'm going to take a step away from Starling and not talk about Starling specifically, but let's talk about considerations for banks in sure. general. Um, so I think the, f the first thing is making sure that it is about engagement. It's about being innovative with that data. But what's then really difficult is charging for that, you can't really charge a customer for for their own data, right? Um, so then it's thinking about how do you commercialize it, how do you generate revenue from some of those activities? To be honest, I think for me, if you're a bank, you're going to lean into lending, right? That's yeah. how you make this a lion share of your revenue, and it always will be. Um, and I think some of the interesting use cases, particularly with open banking, are around lending to say high skilled workers who are not from the UK, right? So immigrant workers who don't have a credit history here, but you can see the salary come into their account. You can see the fact that they have really strong financials, even if it's a month or two months. And okay, you're making, you are taking a risk, but those people should have access to finance because we all know that without access to finance, a lot of things are incredibly difficult, such as buying a house or, or getting an advance to pay you know, the first month's rent or whatever, yeah. right? Um, and I think that's where you can generate real revenue by spotting exciting lending opportunities for people who are credit worthy, but just don't have their credit history. Okay, and that's a piece of your then banking as a service infrastructure is a, a lending hub, as it were, to kind of power those insights and, and the actions that an SME or a consumer could take. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? Like, again, not specific to styling, but banks in sure. general. It's, it's more about thinking about how you use that data to you know, better underwrite customers to generate more revenue to customers from using their own data for yeah. their benefit. Yeah. So just on With that point. With their consent, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I got quite annoyed the other day at a conference, um, and I actually went and spoke to the panel member afterwards to, to vent my frustrations. But around, um, you know, we've got a, I think she's a baby boomer. I'm not sure. So <laughs> be careful with that one. Um, telling an audience of probably other baby boomers, <laughs> Uh, or at best, 
uh, let's say early millennials, that under 30s are only ever saving. The only thing they're saving for today is, is a house, is for lending products. For me, it's all about the kind of financial freedom aspect and as, as probably one of the only under 30s in the room. <laughs> kind of made that, made that quite clear to her. So is that a big piece of, you know, Starling's culture of, of its strategy is to say, well, um, we can enable this financial freedom in our customer base, whether that's someone using our banking as a service infrastructure, whether that's an SME or whether that's a, a retail customer, is this a kind of, well, we can build the layers and they are used however someone sees fit. Yeah, I think, so uh, just on your, on this, uh, on the anecdote you just used, <laughs> by the way, I, I completely agree. I do yeah. think there are, there is a maturity coming into the millennial um, generation where people are thinking about starting families, where people are buying, saving to buy houses. But actually, what I don't like the, the insinuation is that millennials are only doing this because they have to save a house and, the, you know, it's not financial freedom. I think um, there's a stat I came across, which was, you know, the new businesses formed in 11 months to June 21 were 50% of them were from millennials. Really? That to me says it all, right? That is the proof point. For Why sure. do you start your own business? Okay, you've, you've spotted a problem, you want to solve it. But also you don't, you want your own freedom, you want yeah. to be your own boss, right? And for me, that's huge. Um, you know, that's that culture of being a side hustler, having side hustles is, is you know, for me, it characterizes the, the, millennial, uh, the millennial, millennial generation. And actually, you know, we don't need to be told by baby boomers or Gen Xs, um, you know, that you're just spending money on avocado and, and yeah. toast, right? Yeah, I'm actually knitting sweatshirts and selling them on Etsy. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and yeah, on, on this uh, financial freedom point, right, I think, you know, Starlink has a lot of features and that to us really is the whole idea of putting customers at the core yeah. of, our, of, the, of the user journey. Um, and, and whenever we innovate, it's not, you know, where utility that customers have to use actually know, like every other industry, the customers at the center and more and more millennials in particular and, and younger generations expect to have, you know, their needs met on demand, yeah. right? They expect yeah, to be yeah. the center, right? There's a lot more power in their hands than say previous generations who may not get, you know, why you're not saving from day one or whatever now. Yeah. Um, so how, how does Starling help with that, right? So I think there's, we have a load of great features. So, you know, the instant notifications, which you know, we talked about people copying, is a way to help you manage your money, the budgeting tools, paying from spaces. Um, things like, you know, having a connected card to help you budget. So, you know, that's that's a, one, of our, one of my favorite products, actually, because we launched it during COVID. Yeah. So if you're self-isolating, you give your card to someone, but it's not your card, it's a separate it's card to your yeah. account, which has its own space. So you can actually say, okay, I'm going to give this, put £100 in this space and the person can only go and spend up to £100. And there's a few other controls you can put around that. Nice, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's loads of what we're doing. I think that, you know, we're not finished yet. Um, there's still a lot more innovation and products that we're looking to launch over the next year. More from it. Um, for what it's worth, for the sake of a self-plug, because we're here. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what we're trying to do in the commodity space, right? In the telco, in the insurance, yeah. in the utility space, is to say, well, this is a shit user experience. <laughs> Yeah. How, do, how do we put this in front of a customer and do the legwork at the right time so that that streamlines all the way through? And I suppose yeah. it's the same concept, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we've spoken to people from TPPs, from regulators, from financial institutions, uh, from fintechs and so on. Uh, each of them have their own 
I guess, little microcosm of the thing that gets the most excited about open finance, open banking, mm. the, the space we're in. What is it for you? I think, yeah, so, you know, with, with open banking, open finance, um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot more to come. And I think what's happened so far hasn't been done the right way. Uh, and just expand on that. I mean, I think what, yeah, what's, yeah. Driven, what's driven open banking you know, has been the regulator, has yeah. been like you know, big banks just doing it so they comply with, with the regulation and what they need to do at, at, at the bare minimum. Um, what, what I think is exciting in the future is looking at what could happen globally. I think there's something like 58 countries who are following the UK's lead to, yeah. to replicate our open banking infrastructure. Now, what, what is exciting is that assuming you have sort of equivalency between each geography, which is going to be really bloody difficult, yeah. but if you do get that, you could start thinking about you know, really helping cust- uh, consumers around the world. Imagine doing instant payments between bank to bank. yeah bank yeah. to bank between the UK and I don't know Australia right? yeah. or, or whatever any geography without a fraction of the cost from doing an FX payment it's it, it could be game changing um, but I think the way it's going to there's significant challenges with open banking how it's been how it's been executed so far. I know we're getting close on time but I'm so keen to challenge you on your on your <laughs> regulatory perspective. Because um, we had, so we had the chairman of UK Finance in the other day mentioned earlier, um, who kind of just said, you know, we've spent however many billions of pounds on open banking infrastructure in, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Would we have spent that money the same way? But if, if you know, if regular hadn't come in and said, you know, this, we, the CMA, are mandating that you must do these, take these steps, mm-hmm. this this was about disrupting financial institutions. This is about disrupting Visa and Mastercard. Yeah. Um, you know what? What would you have done? What would you have done differently with the X billion? It was like two billion pounds. Um, I, look, Fine I, Island I, I, and yeah, Fine <laughs> Island. Yeah, shut up. Wouldn't be hang out. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, I think. I think it's. I, look, if if I had the, if I knew what needed to be done on day one, I, I generally wouldn't be here because I'd yeah. probably be doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think it's, I think it's a really hard question, and someone yeah, has to trigger to that. Yeah, it's, it, someone has to trigger that innovation. And for us in the UK, it was a regulator, mm-hmm. but I think it was done for the wrong reasons, right? So, uh, open bank. So the CMA had a had a remit to encourage competition in current accounts. If you look back as to why they did the open banking implementation the way they did, it was so that you know customers can take the data, move banks, and switch more regularly, right? Sure. Um, and I think you know they they cottoned onto it for the wrong reasons. For example, my my brother the other day, right? He um, banks in that West, but got paid into his neo bank account. Uh, yeah. Let you guess which one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it better be Starling. I mean, come on, <laughs> he's not banking with Starling. Um, uh, anyway, so he, he applied for a loan to NatWest. Yeah. Now, there's a great open banking use case here. They should be able to see he gets Instantly. paid from his, his role at, at his company. That's a regular source of income. Great, here's a loan at the right rate. What he had to do was he had to get his salary paid into NatWest in order to get that loan offer at a reasonable rate. Mm. Now, that is, so the, the, the problem here isn't that you know, open banking is, is you know, a thing. The problem here is that big banks don't innovate enough and don't think about open what's banking. The, what's the, right the incentive way. for them to to say we can 
we'll take the income that's coming into but, Neobank. Um, <laughs> and we're happy with that. Like, surely they'd rather you know, consume sure, that. Sure, but attention. you're totally right. But okay, you get that loan, then you know, as a consumer, if you're if you're jaded enough, you'll move your salary back to the bank that you want it to come into, right? Sure. Um, so it's it's this it's it's like you know offering cash incentives to get people to switch to your accounts. They're not the right quality of customer because they will just be like, yep, yeah, okay, I've got a hundred pound. I'll take hundred pound. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got a hundred pound here. Two months later, you know, another bank comes out with a hundred pound. Great, I'm going to switch this account. I mean, if you're not, if you don't have a secondary account, would you just switch around the banks? I mean, <laughs> you, you're you're losing out on free money, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I think it's it, the incentive is is really that you're m- missing out on revenue that you could otherwise have, mm. um, and I think that comes down to the fact that big banks and the people that should be using open banking properly aren't. They're not thinking about it the right way. They think about it in the, as a tick box exercise. Yeah, the shutters are up. Yeah, yeah. Back to your consultancy days, I'm sure. Uh, so, last couple of questions. First one, which I think you may have alluded to already: open banking success or failure? If you had to choose, um, yeah. Look, I, th- I think it's uh, it's one that it needs to be implemented the right way. Mm-hmm. It needs to be implemented with customer focus at the very core. So, customers, <laughs> you're smiling. It's a very political answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a very political answer. Um, look, uh, and I think it's it, it's very clunky to use, right? And in certain respects, like mm. um, I think there's some things that have worked really well. Yeah. Like the payments thing, which we talked about before, right? Is, is a great way to circumvent that and yeah. be really effective way of actually realizing value for the consumer. But if it's incre- if it's really difficult to do and not, not an easy journey, then it's not doing the right thing. Yeah, I donated to charity the other day because I'm a great guy. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, maybe edit that one out. Um, <laughs> yeah, donated to charity the other day, but through an open banking payment. I was, and I chose it because I was like, obviously, I'm going to try this out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was super, super slick. Mm. But even today, we've got people, AppTap sees a very good bank account connection rate for what it's worth. But yeah, there's still that percentage drop off of people who are just. Because it's not, it's not like instant, right? Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that, I think that's, that's the issue, right? Like, I think we, we've done the best we can as a, in the current form, mm. but I think there's still ways to go. Um, I think, you know, the, the payments piece in particular, which I think you mentioned earlier, it's a great way to tackle that duopoly of MasterCard and Visa, right? Those guys hold all the cards. It, yeah. It's not, you no know... No pun intended. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great way to disrupt that. And, you know, we're all about... Uh, and particularly fintech industry, we're all about innovation, and we should be brave enough to call out something where it could be better, okay. and actually, you know, make it better. So, does it matter whether or not I, as a consumer, know what open banking is, or is it just about the end value that I get out of it? I, I think. So, I, I'm 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 a bit on the fence on this one because I think a consumer should know because they need. Financial data is so important and so sensitive mm. to people and the consumers that they need to know that the data is safe and they need to understand what's exactly happening. I think if, uh, but then on the flip side, do you need to know? If yeah. as long as you give your consent, as long as you understand, okay, my data is safe and it, you know, it goes through X, Y, and Z, and you know the 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 um, AISP or the PISP can't actually you know move my money for me without my permission or stuff like that, it's if it is just what's happened, what's the end, what's yeah. the end uh, It's like result. asking a consumer, how does a credit card payment work? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit on the fence on that one. Yeah. I haven't Fair enough. Um, figured that one out. So for you, what's, what's next for open banking? Um, yeah, I, I, I think we spoke a lot about, you know, focusing on the customer. I think yep. there's, that's what needs to happen. The customer journey, the customer experience and the data, open banking data needs to be used in the best possible way for customer outcomes. Um, I also think, you know, I'd be really excited to see, we talked about 58 countries implementing open banking. I'd be really excited to see some sort of equivalence mm. in that implementation and see what could happen with payments and the, the removal of that red tape between yeah. borders, right? Without losing things like, you know, the anti-money laundering and the fraud detection. Yeah, I mean, for me, look at like somewhere like Australia, right? I've just said, screw it, let's go open data. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Um, so for me, I think that's the exciting piece. So, okay, great, fantastic. So what about you? What, what about Starling yourself personally? Yeah, I'll start off with Starling. Um, look, I think st we, we've, um, I alluded to it earlier, right? We've been a huge success in the UK. We've been profitable, we've proven our business model and we've changed how banks should actually work mm. with our technology, with our focus on customer, with our in constant innovation and releasing products um, that customers actually use, they're not gimmicky, it's actually helpful. Um, and I think for Starling Next is, you know, for us, it's licensing that technology and going global. Um, we are really good at technology, if I do say so myself. Yeah. We have some great engineers. Um, you know, people are talking to us all the time about our technology. Now's the time for us to license it because we can point to the UK as a successful case study for, for our technology. Great. And yourself? Uh, myself, you know, probably... <laughs> Drive it. <laughs> yeah, drive yeah. it forward. I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of exciting things happening at Starling. Great. We've still got a lot of stuff to do in the UK from product development to M&A um, and, you know, one day the IPO. Excellent. Well, Adnan, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having um, me. And thank you everyone else for, for tuning in. This is another episode of FinTech Walkabout and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Wicked. Nice. Great. Thanks so much. Easy peasy. Longer than I expected.